0: welcome to the practice podcast conversations probing the nature of practice I'm your host Dave Firon this conversation with Nathan Featherston is like so many of my conversations somewhat about me but in this case I am his his client he is designing and doing the artwork for everything from our book cover for on practice as a way of being to providing me with a more consistent and hopefully compelling image on social media so that when people flash by and scrolling their LinkedIn account, they'll see me (laughs) and they'll see about the podcast that I am representing in that particular um, post and also will see the links to the book. So I'm learning a lot about how to Uh, have a presence in social media and I can tell you at my age, nearly 80, I could never have imagined and I have a pretty wild imagination, 30 years ago, that there would be such a thing as social media (laughs) and that I would be investing time and treasure in becoming more um, known through social media so that I could attract people to my particularly to my book, but also to honor by listening to the over 100 people that I have so far, and now added Nathan to uh, the podcast. So here is Nathan Featherston, Featherston Design. Well, folks, I'm talking with Nathan Featherston, and he is the sole proprietor of Guess what? FeatherstonDesign.com. And uh, I know the design part very well now as a direct consumer of his uh, service and his attention. Uh, And that's why I'm having this podcast in part because, uh, well, first, I'm always interested in people who are relatively early in their careers and practices. And as is Nathan, at least I'm judging Nathan because you're wearing a, um, a, a, what would you call that cap? Yes, a beanie. A beanie. There you go. <laughs> and I, and think, I took. I've been learning that the beanie means something. Why don't we start with that? What What is the? I know it looks very comfortable. What is
1: the beanie. Yeah. Also well, the well, yeah, it's mainly it's it's for comfort. So like, so I'm from Wisconsin, right? Uh so dressing warm is just part of the culture up here and beanies are pretty much like they're not the warmest you can get you can get a bit warmer which are ones that have like the ear flaps that go down kind of like cartoonish Christmas story style that looks kind of weird though so I think most people my age who want the beanies gravitate towards it also Mm -hmm. as somebody who's kind of losing hair it's always good to oh used to aha to, uh-huh. to cover uh-huh. that up but so the winters are always nice summers are a bit tougher because of that
0: <laughs> but, <laughs> you know i've only known you in the in the fall in the mm-hmm. fall so i i haven't really seen you without your hat and i don't need need you to, have to uncover at this moment for our podcast i do find you know in my at least my travels running through facebook and linkedin uh particularly facebook i see quite a people who are younger who do wear the beanies and they're really mm-hmm. essentially a, a wool cap a wool-like cap yeah. and uh did they not uh, have those when you were younger oh no well we wore them when it was cold but we didn't wear them as a thing okay so like
1: indoors, <laughs> like indoors you
0: never as an, as an indoor thing no okay. in fact take your hat off this was the second thing uh that my parents would say when I walk through the door welcome and take your hat off <laughs> um design is in your DNA that's a question where, where, is, where does that design impulse root it's interesting because you know, like, the the design part was was later on
1: so like art is in my dna right that's i've been drawing since i was since was longer than i can remember really since i was like two or three i've been just scribbling stuff and then i actually learned how to draw things like rocket chips and stuff when i was <laughs> four and then it would I, I just fell in love with it and i would draw every day and so it was around like when i went to high school like eighth grade or freshman year where I was uh deciding that um that I wanted to do this as a career right because it made me happy and I thought like it would be dumb of me not to to try to make a career in something that I was good at and that made me happy I felt lucky that I found that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and design was a way for me to to easily commercialize that yeah whereas with art it's a lot harder for a for a young artist to To make like headway in the art community it's a lot and like also like make a living while doing that it's a lot easier for a for a graphic designer to on one hand be very creative and like be able to feed that desire but on the other hand being able to just eat and have a roof over your head and not have to worry about about where the next check is coming from it was more of an uh, adult oriented decision for me to be able to take my creativity and and then use it as a as a platform for for my life
0: yeah and and now since i climbed up on the platform as as a client uh what what nathan has been doing for me folks is taking my originally very amateur ways of being seen on linkedin and facebook and now instagram uh amateur but heartfelt and then when the book on practice as a way of being uh was ready to go uh the feedback i got was you know you really ought to dress up that <laughs> you know you're a thought leader now dave look make it look like you are um in social media and i thought well that's not a bad idea at all and you were helping and are helping uh my publisher uh, my library and And also Nexus for Change, and uh, of course you were well recommended. Mm -hmm. So let's take a moment and look at what I looked like before you started helping me in regard. As I just claimed that I was very amateurish. What are the kind of things that you can remember seeing that you needed to get at right away? Well, I mean the first thing I did was the
1: was the book cover, right?
0: Mm, That's right. You designed that. So um, so
1: before I did the social media stuff the first peter Vale related things that i took a look at were the covers from from other books Mm -hmm. which i had to kind of emulate to make the on practice cover Mm -hmm. so those i liked they were good design just a a bit uh dated in terms of style which makes sense because they came out a little while ago right Mm -hmm. but generally i think the design rules were there and all pretty good when i took a look at the social media the main issue which i assume is probably the same issue for most like amateur non-design oriented people who have a lot of different social media accounts is the cohesiveness of, of the brand right right making sure that people understand that all of these things are kind of interrelated and understanding that like your profile picture your and your banner right like the the big long profile image that you have at the the very top of your profile page that that can be used as that's valuable real estate that you can use like to advertise or send a message out and that you can use art and design to communicate that message. And so for instance, the way that we use color is very important. Yeah, The brand brand color is super important because people, they might not know it, but they have a very fine tuned understanding of color. And so being able to see these multiple, uh, different platforms having the same kind of color scheme with it immediately ties them together like subconsciously and so people can even if they're say scrolling through a bunch of different profile pages right if they're saying which people do
0: you know you know if you're going to scroll they just whip through whip through whip through they can Uh yeah
1: and then their eye will see that same yellow next to that same purple or that same red and say hey I've seen this before I noticed that that's my as my my happy second. yellow <laughs> my mm-hmm. happy yellow yeah and it we- was actually taking that yellow was kind of like the yellow of you know like the the ruled yellow pads of paper yeah it's a bit old school yeah that always just made me when I was thinking about about practice before I really had read the book which I'm not one of the few to have completed the whole book but before I had even read into it I had thought about like writing practice and how when you practice with the writing there are all these ruled lines that you have to kind of pay attention to and stuff and so that was where the that original yellow color kind of came into mind and then wow.
0: other- i never knew I, that I and i what think what it, it makes total sense so you really looked at it more than a guy who's saying why don't i suggest this book cover be pink or red or whatever you you got deep into your artistic and design dna mm-hmm. and you said this is sort of like those old uh, lined pads that mm-hmm. people probably in both Peter and David's generation did a lot of writing, and I suspect that mm-hmm. probably Peter wrote even this book initially on those pads. So you were mm-hmm. you were you were channeling that experience, uh, and 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 so that's a start. And so the continuity back to your point is once you know we've got the sort of the, the Steady color that p- plays off the book cover and, and so forth. You can, you wrote that across each of the things you designed. What else did you put in to that color then that said Dave Fear and Peter Vale? Into the, into the, into, in, into our, into our heading. So whatever you, I, I, I've got to learn how to banners. Is that it? Whatever is that? The sure. Title? Yeah. Banners, the word that I use, which I think,
1: okay. Only technically like Facebook and like Dinio's but that's yeah when i see that in my mind that's like oh banner right there Mm -hmm. rectangular one and well usually i wanted to make it point to this podcast right like there were essentially like uh advertising that the podcast exists and that mainly i thought that was important because that's the thing that's continuing onwards right right The, the practice book is kind of done I don't think there might be an addendum of some sort
0: but we're adding we're adding waffles there. as we speak you know we're, we're the good thing I hate to interrupt you there but the book will no, never yeah. be uh, I can almost hear uh Theo Ford Stiegler groaning when I say the book is alive and will never be done <laughs> and Theo's going oh because he's the one who has to put these these links into the to the episodes and uh, some articles that Peter wrote and so forth but the 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 key is yes the podcast goes on and here's why I love it I love doing it I love what we're doing right now I I like the feedback you know being a lonely old retired professor it's it's wonderful so yes I did want to uh attract more eyes and hold the attention and that's where a lot of your schooling has come into play not only your artwork but your schooling as you're coaching me and saying well this is why we need to have it this way and why you have to say it that way so go on and tell me tell the folks a bit more of my remedial experience (laughs) in appearing uh, in social media what else did you coach me to do well there are parts where a lot
1: of the the issue and i think this is an issue with with a lot of people your age right is is resolution is recognizing that a computers can now give very very quickly render super super high res images like there's no longer like a hardware issue with having big high res images and yeah. two that people will look at a low res image and will immediately connote that with low quality of of like a service wow like if i were looking for let's say like a flower shop right yeah I want to buy a bouquet of flowers and i have three flower shops within five miles of me and i look at their logos and one of them is low resolution i'm not going to that flower shop even though that flower shop might have the best flowers they might put all of their eggs in a different basket right wow when it comes to me having to sort through all the different flower shops those are the first that are on the chopping block because visual information is just so important in social media that's how you scan everything Mm -hmm. and you have to scan because there's so much information and so it's those with the best crispest visuals that get looked at first and longest Mm so mainly it's about like hedging bets because even if you have like a low res image someone is going to still look at it someone is still going to maybe engage with it but the numbers will be larger if you have like a really good, crisp image. And you had one, but only on some of your profiles, right? There were yeah, some well, others that had like a low P- res image P- P- that you
0: hadn't updated. Oh, no. The ones that, that I cobbled together, well, my, with the help of Anthony Rivera, who got me off the ground here you know, almost three years ago, was a, a very uh, old picture of Peter. And mm-hmm. a very, very old picture of me, <laughs> and, but we put it together like we were, you know, so we could be in the same artwork each time we posted the podcast. And I think you were one, uh, maybe it was Tato at first, then you who said, you've got to start changing the artwork each time mm-hmm. you post these because it's just, it, it, it's, it's maybe sending people to a, uh, someone else's flower shop. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. and i think with the different pieces of artwork too it's also people who who already know the podcast they won't get confused nearly as easily about whether mm -hmm. or not they've seen this episode before uh Mm -hmm. or like if they're looking for a specific person say you have like like you had um you have your son on it's kind of a recurring right maybe there are some fans that only like dave and dad i'm only here for dave and dad screw everybody else right (laughs) it's important then that all not only that all of the Dave and dads look different enough from the others that they can see it but that the the image between all the Dave and dads are similar enough that you can you know tell oh that's a Dave and dad that's a Dave and dad that's a Dave and dad when you're you know quickly scanning you're not reading the the titles and everything like that right right and there is a balance still because you still want to keep all the artwork cohesive and looking pretty similar yeah. You want to keep brand presence there, but you still want to want to shake it up basically every time a little bit when you yeah. post a new podcast.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that, that's that's great. Now, in regard to the pictures, we we finally got a recent a more recent picture of Peter who passed away mm-hmm. over two years ago. And then there was one that was taken me of me for a uh, presentation I did on zoom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it was done by a professional photographer. So we got those two pictures and then you put them together. And this is part of the storytelling you're doing to talk, talk, tell the folks a bit about that, about how you chose to put us on that banner, if you will, and, uh, mm-hmm. and may and capitalize on those pictures.
1: Yeah. Well, first. I was immediately drawn to the the picture taken by the professional photographer right Mm, yeah because of course they put a lot of work into making sure that image was crisp and clean and well balanced and looked good and then that was also in black and white which is similar to how we do things on my library is we take images of people which are usually in color and then in Photoshop I make them black and white and I add color to like their clothes and to the background But not to the skin tone, because we have kind of like a rainbowish color scheme and different colors don't really work well when being overlaid on in Photoshop on on different skin tones, like darker skin tones won't pick up well with like the purples and the blues. Lighter Mm -hmm. skin tones will look kind of weird with like the yellows. And so then we wanted to change everything to black and white to make sure that no matter what color we're using, it would always be a crisp, easily readable image. And yeah. so to me, that's what black and white means. There's a lot of utility in having a black and white image already. Like and so that. I took that and then I applied black and white to the Peter image, which didn't have black and white already. And I cut him out. He he was, I think in that image, he was sitting. So he was cropped in such a way that both of his shoulders were were cut. Right. Which meant that I needed to cover that that harsh straight line. And so it was natural that I would put Peter in the very, very corner line up that that cropped edge of his shoulder with the edge of the of the banner image and then i could put you in front of that other yeah line right there to hide that and make it look like you guys are just standing right next to each other oh and that adds man. into the story right it's, it's a, a, a little, story. it's a little thing about the story like everything communicates right like every image and the only thing that image really needed to communicate was that this was this is a team effort between you and Peter. That was the part of the story that I would try to say very briefly with that image. Because in general, with the marketing, I think the story is what makes the book really special. To me, the, the story was the thing that made it stand out from even like the CCL, right? Like what is this standing out from other kinds of management philosophy books, I suppose. I'm not sure exactly where we would brand this. It's kind of a philosophy in that there's a lot more it's not like a self-help book necessarily
0: not at all no yeah. i mean it, it, if you read it you can help yourself better but it's not a self-help mm-hmm. book and it, and it, it, it is a book that would be very hard for them to you know in a barnes and noble to classify mm-hmm. is it a book on leadership yes is it is it a book on organization development and design yeah Change, yes, but Mm -hmm. those are all things that Peter and I worked on over the years. But basically, it's it is a different kind of book, and it required that kind of creativity you showed in figuring out how to image it and and get our story out there in in text as well, very minimal text, but something like that, and then leading readers, potential readers, to the to the uh, digital book itself. Of course, is part of the goal from wanting me to have a more professional appearance in social media and Mm -hmm. if peter were still alive he would be very happy with what you've done so far yeah that's good to hear yeah so let me jump over to uh what you volunteered to do as a professional as a Mm -hmm. professional which is to read our book from from the cover you helped design Mm -hmm. you know you designed you know to the to the last conjecture um as a practitioner of your field as a, um, an artist and a designer was it helpful for you to gain some other insight about yourself in a, as a practitioner by having read that book
1: yeah and i think so i had mentioned this to you before that the book gave words to to concepts and ideas and like um and insights that i had that i already noticed about like my practice first off the word practice right i didn't really think of it as i thought of practicing right like the verb i didn't really think of practice yeah i didn't think of of applying that to to my artistic and design careers and then there are other words too. The other one that always sticks in my mind is autotelic. <laughs> Another word that and, and words are important to me, I think, in that yeah. they allow me to kind of wrap my my head around a certain concept. I think I'm very language oriented, that's why I I'm good at writing and I think I'm good at design partly because design is also language, it communicates in a visual yes. way as opposed to like a strictly linguistic way. Yes. But having having a word to kind of have that concept allows me to compartmentalize it and then it, i can i can more easily work that into my my daily routine i can understand it i can look at it and analyze it so when i have the the names behind those those concepts of practice of white water was the other one the constant white water mm-hmm. a way of kind of framing my practice though those kinds of things I find to be not only really interesting but I think those will be helpful moving forward especially as the more that I get into design I think the more whitewatery it will be right (laughs) I'm going to have to be
0: constantly 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 shifting the tools the tools change the the tools the trends go by
1: in a flash you know
0: Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you're on top of it now and then tomorrow you're not. I I want to I have two thoughts, which I better get out before I forget. Um, First, uh, another one of Peter's conjectures is that practice is perceptual and perceptual and per per and perceptual. It was a Mm -hmm. it was an interesting word that caught Peter's attention when one of his former students, Eric Dent, as he says in the in the conjecture eric got me to think about this mm. uh practice in order to practice anything and certainly acutely in your field you, you have to sharpen your perceptions but to be perceptual woe <laughs> is uh is a state of being you know it is uh I am a very perceptual person and mm-hmm. and of course that would what we'd be wanting for a surgeon <laughs> for example or or basically anyone and and it is something to be worked on mm-hmm. uh and, and and there are a lot of other ways i I can say now that what well, peter peter had an ex- a vocabulary bigger than you know bigger bigger than a freight car mm-hmm. yeah. uh but he also was was very interested in engaging people first as a teacher. When he was my teacher, he could have used big words. And sometimes he would select as would a poet, which he was as well.
1: Mm.
0: I want to use this word. It may not be a word you're familiar with, but there's a story behind it and there's a benefit for you knowing it. Otherwise, he would use common language. And so reading through Peter's writing in particular, did you see those moments where you think hmm, that's a little dense and then the other hand he says but then the next sentence he he makes a, a light of something or he puts something personal in there mm-hmm.
1: yeah there definitely are like sections that i would want to read again because they are very dense peter doesn't really mince words uh, no. i get the i get the impression that that every single word that there's no fat there right mm-hmm. That the sentence was poured over and that every word needs to be there right you couldn't really change it mm-hmm. but um the stuff that i found really really not dense the stuff that i found probably the easiest to, to read and the stuff that i enjoyed reading the most was the stuff that was kind of autobiographical yeah. it's whenever i would say kind of autobiographical because it wasn't really structured like that but anytime he would go into one of his many sailing metaphors you oh, yeah. like a golfing thing or he would talk about his his academic time his career earlier on yes yeah. it, it was in the last few conjectures where he talks a lot about the story of of not only like developing the idea of practice but why he thought that was so important for, mm-hmm. for academia and stuff like that to learn and so those I found to be really really not I mean maybe they were still dense but they were a lot easier for me to to read without having to like reread a sentence right those are the yeah. things that I found probably the I, I found most enjoying when i read
0: good to hear no you can imagine here is this the what you read of peter's work was pretty much as peter wrote it and 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 my promise to his family uh was that if i take this on uh i'm going to be very very careful to make sure that the people are reading peter vale with my augmentation and my augmentation was not to explain peter vale he could certainly explain himself. It was to show, as a fellow learner with Peter, what this particular ch- conjecture was going might mean to others, as it certainly meant to me. So it was an interesting uh, tra- uh, challenge uh, because I did not want to change much of Peter's work. I kn- knew how he did work over every word, um, and and had he had the opportunity to revise, which he wanted to do before he passed away. He might have tweaked it even more uh, Mm -hmm. or even said i don't want to say that anymore and put something else in there (laughs) that's probably why he would love a living book because he could come back to it in a couple of years and say well i don't i don't see this anymore Mm -hmm. but anyway my point is that that it was the combination that i think not only by pictures that you put up there uh, where in some of the podcasts you can hear peter and me having a conversation but also in a way the book is like a conversation Mm-hmm. do you see it that way
1: well sure because I think there, especially with your passages there are a lot of questions that were asked of the reader you're pretty much in every conjecture the the book would would stop and ask the reader like hey what in your life does this conjecture apply to right
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: when your life is there is there something that you would always in the chapter of the whitewater which i just remember because we we did quotes for that very recently mm-hmm. i went through that um talking about like what would you is there anything in your life that you love so much that you would be with it through thick and thin right thick that and thin that's through, right through through all of the all of the challenges of whitewater like uh what would you do where were those challenges like excite you as opposed to uh intimidate you or maybe you like intimidate you a little bit there's kind of excitement inside of that intimidation right but you know what i mean
0: like i do mm-hmm. i do that's a great interpretation of what i think peter meant and and what it felt like <laughs> mm-hmm. you know in a way this uh getting this book done was uh, definitely a whitewater uh, run uh in that in that when he and i were looking for a publisher he was in hospice mm-hmm. and very very much on the edge of of his health and uh and if we would had a conventional publisher he probably wouldn't have been around to do anything about it but i did uh, make a contract with him that i would Mm -hmm. get it done and uh, so there it was (laughs) and for quite a few months after he passed away i was like what am i going to do Mm um and fortunately, i found innovators in the field of information for the digital world called mm-hmm. steve katie theo ford stiegler and carol gorlick who said "Well, oh, come on in let's and i wrote him a little essay uh about whitewater where mm-hmm. i took a character from a book i a novel i wrote dana gilbert and i said well what would her life be now i wrote it 2006 here it was 2016 or so what would her life be now in the middle of this this uh, crisis and pandemic mm-hmm. so i resumed my conversation with dana gilbert and found out that a lot of things were not going well in her life or her company's life yeah. and uh, they kind of liked that they liked that i had a different take on on conveying messages about in this case uh, life in the covid mm-hmm. and so that encouraged me and then they saw the manuscript and they knew Peter Vale and they said let's do it Mm -hmm. so weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of work um you you read the result (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: yeah but I want to go back you wrote
0: a novel yeah yeah I did What what was it about it was it was about uh it was it is it uh it's, it was called, uh, I should know t- off the top of my head. I spent my life with it. It's called Inside Knowledge, Rediscovering the Source of Performance Improvement. And uh, as a graphic, oh, artist. Yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, Steve Cavallari, my co-author, and my good friend and fellow faculty member at Central Connecticut State, and uh, had done a tremendous amount of thinking and reading and writing about uh, the basis of real-time learning which mm-hmm. which we found to be american pragmatism and the work of charles purse i thought we'd love to get that message out to people that you know we're learning all the time and we can improve the quality of our knowledge if we take more responsible for uh, using our powers to learn and uh and yet, if you read anything that Purse had written or even what we would write as academics, it probably would have been read by 11 people. Mm. <laughs> so I said what I, I was very active in the quality movement. And I said, maybe I can get quality progress to produce this book as a as, as a demonstration of the part about rediscovering the source of performance improvement. And guess what the source was? It was a person called Dana Gilbert mm. who worked in a call center. In a, in a company that was undergoing transformational change of not a good sort, but it was going through change. And Dana was, of course, on the call center and on the telephone back then uh, and hearing the sounds of her customers, her business customers grappling with in their version of what was going on in their whitewater. And uh, she she provided a very important kind of knowledge, which then was going to be overtaken by the villain in this story which is uh, uh information software that would basically be like the uh, you know automatic order takers and you know the yeah. the, 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 the the horribly frustrating voices you get when you call a, com- a phone com- a big company yeah, yeah, now, yeah. and yeah. it sounds like a human being, and you're screaming at him and calling him all kinds of rude words. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an, it's just an algorithm. But um anyway, <laughs> as we're as we're going back here, this is about you. <laughs> well, it isn't about you. It's about our collaboration, Nathan. Yeah and uh and and it was my collaboration with particularly with Teo and it was my and my collaboration with with Steve Cavallari all through my career I got to be this goes to your point about being an artist my art is um an ability to tell a huge story called Mm -hmm. a novel never been a novelist but I did it for this purpose I wanted people to feel close to the characters who are the real doers in business that makes make the work P- peter vale called them the dark matter of mm-hmm, business yeah. mm-hmm. people get it done and uh so collaboration is important what has it been like you for you in these two months of intensive collaboration to collaborate with me
1: well it was it's great because you're you're my guinea pig, right? <laughs> I'm actually using you, oh, <laughs> for my purposes. So, well, because your your collaboration is kind of enveloped within the, my larger collaboration with Nexus and my library. That's right, particularly with uh, with Steve and Teo. And so, we were talking about this idea of how do we brand thought leaders that thought leaders in general first off it's it's a word that's a bit of a bit of a catch-all but they all kind of do follow similar similar uh like uh properties mm-hmm. pretty much all thought leaders are are like this is another thing that appeared in non-practice lifelong learners a Absolutely. lot of thought leaders have a lot of these kinds of uh similar attitudes and so how do we and, and also similar situations in that on one hand, they have an academic practice. On another hand, they're trying to sell a book. On mm-hmm. a third hand, they're they're a father or a grandfather, right? And all of those are happening on social media at different levels. So how do we, from the top view, how do we structure this? How do we say, okay, this is how you, you market or use your academic resources. This is how you use your non-academic resources this is the stuff that is is private that is just personal between you and your family yada yada Mm -hmm. and so you were the first of these thought leaders for us to say well we just need somebody where we can kind of hit the ground running because all thought leaders are ultimately going to be different they're going to have slightly different situations so before we really are able to understand this at a higher level I felt like we just needed a thought leader to to start branding around. And then all of the nitty-gritty and stuff will we'll be able to figure out later but we need a a test subject mm-hmm. and so you and your situation was a perfect little test subject and <laughs> um, before we got into this idea i had already worked with you on the
0: on the cover that's right
1: so i was already
0: In- indirectly involved. i don't think i ever talked to you directly about it but you, you yeah no it, it was you got my message mm-hmm. yeah
1: and so I was already kind of familiar with the existence of this. And once uh, once Theo had mentioned that you needed some more help with that, that was the perfect opportunity for, for thought mm-hmm. leaders, because before that, Steve Katie was going to be the thought leader whose who's brand we were going to push out, which mm-hmm. to me was something that I was excited to do, but I knew that would take a very long time, partly because Mr. Katie is a very, not Mr. Katie my goodness Dr Katie sorry is a Are very he, he doesn't want to be Dr Katie we we wanted to be Steve Katie the brand the I brand is Steve Katie. I know exactly what you mean
0: yeah <laughs> but I, so I'm that's Dave, part of them but I used to be Dr Furin or Professor mm-hmm. Furin or Doc <laughs> yeah so you know there's all these layers of us aren't there and and yeah and Steve would be a and is a brilliant person to uh present as a thought leader um, yeah but
1: he's a professor currently so he has a lot of yes. uh, a lot of time taken away he doesn't have nearly as much time on his hands a lot of times he's sometimes we'll have to uh, a late meeting or something like that you know and it's uh, just like it would go much quicker with somebody who I don't know maybe
0: is retired and <laughs> yeah and desperate <laughs> no i am the perfect guinea pig because it, it, it and i was for the book too is because it, our, our book peter in my book uh buying my library is, is the first and It's there were there's a textbook or two in there and some certainly some wonderful uh articles in the in the collaborative change library mm-hmm. but this is a standalone book and mm-hmm. uh and yeah i i wanted to be that kind of guinea, guinea well not. I wasn't a guinea pig with with Teo. I was uh um I I don't know what the word would be um yeah they were experimenting with our kind of author my kind of authorship mm. but also i was experimenting with their kind of publishership and putting mm. a lot on the line putting peter vale's name on the line mm. to do it and that's probably that was a big risk and it was a risk in a way for people who knew his previous books because they were made of paper <laughs> had covers and they could stick them on a shelf and uh, so i had to sell it myself and then sold to about how having a book that's on a virtual shelf and but but always handy because you can open it on your phone or your pad or your computer, which I felt was important. Mm-hmm. And important change. And so, of course living, the the big
1: ever non-ending living document.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I don't like to finish anything. I maybe it's because I'm close to eighty. No, that's the same. That's that's the artist's way, you know, is
1: that the art you have to stop find a place to stop yourself like the art is never actually done in that you always look at it again you see a little thing you want to change
0: yeah tweak this why I love
1: I love deadlines for art because it just it says stop now that's the stopping point it doesn't matter if if there's a part you'd want to change because every piece of art and design I've always made every single one I look back in a year and think oh I should have done this I should have done this (laughs) but it's something you just have to have to get over right
0: well in our last couple of minutes for this part of our conversation today uh Nathan because you and I are going to go back and work getting me up to speed more up to speed on how to carry on a lot of what you started and and you know we're going to continue in other ways but I wanted to be able to get to a point where I could uh, illustrate a podcast with a uh, a video. I want there's some clips you know I want to do, which says, "Hey, wait a minute," and and, and posing a question about a, a conjecture, and you're helping me do that. But in the meantime, what what I think is um, kind of cur- I'm curious about is how this is now changing you to have done my work working with. Nexus for Change in my library. You said that this is kind of a break, a way for you to get into this to be an independent business person. Uh, have you felt some changes and growth in yourself because of taking this risk, Isis, or you left a corporate job, steady paycheck, you know, mm-hmm. benefit benefits?
1: Yeah, I mean, with freelance in general, I'm I'm trying to think that there is a a term for like the alienation of your work from the workplace right i can't exactly remember the term Mm -hmm. but in that say if i was working i worked at target before right Mm -hmm. when i worked at target i didn't feel like anybody really needed me i didn't really feel like i was making much of a difference you know i felt like my job could have been done by a robot, not only could have been done by a robot, could have been done better and cheaper by a robot,
0: right? Uh-oh. <laughs> Should I, I edit that piece out for all the thousands of people who who know the same thing you did? <laughs> no, I know,
1: but everyone in retail has- No, the, I,
0: I, I get it. I get
1: it. Has, yeah. has these feelings, right? And just that, so I didn't feel like my labor was really going anywhere, that I was actually getting any benefit from the labor. Now, even though I work more I work longer I work harder I I never had to do a single zoom call when I worked at Target you know I never had to do <laughs> didn't have to think about scheduling didn't have to worry about about money didn't have to write invoices didn't have to to log my own hours and stuff like that despite all of that now that all of that work that I'm doing is going into something that I own and that I've built and that represents me and that kind of puts my reputation in a in a little box right where I can present it I think that that is what I something that I wanted that I didn't know that I want mm-hmm. it was something that even at like a corporate job even when I did design stuff in the office I didn't I didn't feel that um that sense of gratitude I suppose no,
0: I and, know. and you didn't own it either I mean you did it for the company it was their property in a way you know you can and, and 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 you said earlier on in our conversation that you didn't really have uh understanding of what Peter and I call practice was something that you have and mm-hmm. own you own what you've just described. It's in the mm-hmm. box. It's your it's your reputation and it's your prestige if eventually you, it, it achieves that, if that's your goal. Um yeah, and it. even
1: the failure too is just like even if it's a failure, even if it's a massive failure. The idea that it's my failure, I think was something that I didn't realize could I, I could value in this way that it, it helped me value failure I suppose more right as a learning tool
0: absolutely absolutely yeah. and and in some ways people stay in jobs and and companies uh because they they really dread failure and this mm-hmm. kind of buffers and insulates them and it can become someone's other responsibility if something mm-hmm. goes wrong and uh we see now these trends of people uh what work what do they call it uh doing the job but basically not doing the job uh, oh, quiet or, quitting. yeah yeah all of that quiet
1: quitting on. which is also by the way just like something that people have been doing forever right oh i know like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm always, these buzzwords kind of are a bit of pet peevish for me.
0: Well, it's kind of it's fun for us who can get us, get a uh, maybe a couple of headlines out of it, you know. It's good for it, a good hashtag, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, thro- it throws it's us, helpful. you know, the, quite That's a true. few, you know, in my my former world of academe, you know, you you basically would not ever want to be on a web page and have a, a social media. That was mm too tacky it was not uh, it was not professorial so there's a few yeah a few of us were saying hell with it i want my thoughts to be known and Mm -hmm. and, it is not going to be known if they stick they're stuck between the pages of a journal so a few of us would do what we call outside things Mm -hmm. like consulting but also just to Like get some, have some fun, get some energy and get some excitement around ideas. And uh, now if you look in my groups that I read through in LinkedIn and Facebook, I've got several younger, much younger faculty who have, like Scott Allen has a really lively podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bill Blendle, who is. Doing some really revolutionary work in our field, organization change. However, he's got some gra- he has got some graphics. He's got mm-hmm. some graphic design going for him. It's stunning, and it's there on LinkedIn and pretty much every day. So the in what I call the new professor has to have a brand. I believe mm-hmm. why uh, because scratch it all down to the basis. We love to be noticed. Yeah, absolutely. Why in the hell else would you want to be a teacher if you didn't want to be noticed? And mm-hmm. once we're noticed, we want to have an engagement, and we want to have what Peter called co-inquiry. I'm eager to know what Nathan knows, and you probably have some interest in what I know. And, and we have great... interest in what we know about each other, too. I yes, think it's and that, that goes to back to the autobiography part, doesn't mm-hmm. it? It basically says, I'm human and you're human. Mm. and let's let's probe our humanity a little bit too. And what that results in is a, a, a stronger feeling of trust mm. what my son dave Dave and Dad calls social bond. And that's something that I keep hearing over and over again. These days, people miss. They miss the chance to feel that closeness and have trusting relationships across which they can do new and better work. Mm. And you have given me that opportunity, Nathan Featherstone.
1: Oh, thank you. I trust you as well.
0: I think. Yeah, it's been great. So I'm going to uh, close off our conversation for the podcast and we'll continue to do a little business. But uh, it's, it's been wonderful to get to know you better and get yeah, to yeah, your, thanks for your, having your you. perspective and on the book. I appreciate that very much.
1: Yeah. Yeah, have me on again
0: anytime. Okay. I'm, I'm working my schedule up for 23. <laughs> Thank you again. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to com slash podcast dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.